Amen. Our series, at least for the spring, well, it's going to be a lot longer than that. It'll go into the rest of the year. But we're in Matthew's Gospel, uh, becoming acquainted again with who Jesus is. And so uh, we actually started this back in Advent, back in December, and we're going to continue walking the rest of the way through. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to grab uh, the Bible that's in the chair there. If you're looking for this passage, it's on page 809, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there, I want you to be thinking about this question. What is the purpose of a test? What's a test for? If you're, uh, if you're young and in school, you probably still have this feeling. What in the world is this test for? Why do I have to, why do I have to take another test? And a test is, well, it's a test. It's to see what it is that you know. Or it's to see how competent you are in something, how able you are to do something. The, the driver's test, for instance, uh, should at least give the state a basic understanding that you know how to drive a car. For some of us, that's a little more basic than others. But that's what a test is for. And today we're going to see that Jesus is being tested. Now, we often use the word tempted and uh, that's probably what your translation will say as we read it through today. Uh, and when the Bible uses that word in the New Testament, it can mean either or, test or temptation. Uh, temptation in the sense of being enticed, being lured to do something that is wrong. I think the better word here is test. Uh, now, this, what the devil certainly hopes Jesus will do is be enticed to do something that is wrong. But underneath the devil's temptations is the purpose of the father to test his son. And hopefully you'll see what I mean as we go through that. So, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Remember, this comes on the heels of Jesus' uh, baptism. <clears throat> then, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, the, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for showing us our Savior Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Which war began uh, with the shot heard around the world? Yeah, the Revolutionary War, the American Revolution. Why do we call it that? Not the revolution, but why do we call that shot at Lexington and Concord the shot heard around the world? Well... Because that shot would lead to a war which would eventually lead to the formation of the United States, which has had incredible history-making ramifications for the rest of the world. So it indeed would, the entire world still feels the impact of that shot. Well, we could call Jesus' test here in the wilderness the shot heard around the universe, This is a a turning point in the cosmic battle between good and evil. The fight for our freedom, not our political freedom, but for our spiritual freedom from sin and death starts right here. As Jesus faces off for the first time against the devil. You see, just like any good hero story... In order to be our champion, in order to identify with you and me, Jesus has to be tested. He has to be tried. He has to face what we face. And in order for him to rescue us, he has to emerge victorious. He has to remain sinless. Every test that we fail, he has to pass. And that officially begins right here in the wilderness. And what I hope you'll see is that Jesus succeeds where we often fail. And that should give us hope in our failures. I I struggled to outline this one a little bit because all three of these tests are essentially the same. Now, their circumstances differ. Uh, In each test, the devil tempts Jesus with something different. But at its core, each one is a test of Jesus' loyalty. It's a test of trust. Will Jesus trust his Father? And that's really the question that each of us faces every day, multiple times throughout the day. Children. Do you always understand the things your parents tell you to do? And some started shaking their heads even before I finished the question. 
right? And so in that moment, what parents often do is they say, trust me. When, when kids say, why? Well, usually we say, because I said so. Um, but right, what are parents asking their children to do? Trust us. Trust them. Now, that example doesn't always hold up. Every parent in the room has proven that we're not always trustworthy. Oftentimes, we tell our kids to do things out of anger or out of pride or out of convenience rather than out of a good motive. We're sinners, too. But that proves the point. Each of us faces this test multiple times throughout the day. Will we trust God or not? Let's see how Jesus does it. Three ways. And really, again, each one of these could be the same thing. But we'll look at it in slightly different ways. Kind of like you would take a a diamond and turn it over in your hand. You're looking at the same thing, but from different angles. Jesus chooses greater satisfaction... Jesus chooses humility, and Jesus chooses the cross. First, Jesus chooses greater satisfaction. We're told that right after his baptism, Jesus is led into the wilderness. By whom? Why is Jesus in the wilderness? The Spirit leads him there. This is exactly... Jesus is exactly where the Father wants him. How often do we say when undergoing a, a test or a trial, how often do we feel anyway, God, God has nothing to do with this? No, that's simply not true. If you're a child of God, the only hope you have in the midst of trial is the fact that God is right there in the thick of it with you. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested by the devil. And we're told he's there 40 days and 40 nights without food. That number is important. That's how long Moses was on Mount Sinai without food, receiving God's word before he would lead God's people into the promised land. Forty years was how long Israel was tested and tried in the wilderness. So this is a significant moment. And we're told that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And this seems like the understatements of all understatements. He was hungry. I know how I feel after four hours without food. We watch a show, uh, show called Alone where they drop these people off in like the Arctic wilderness uh, with some camera equipment and basic survival supplies. Uh, and they, you basically, it's a, it's a competition to see who lasts the longest. And as they go, they even have trouble sleeping. In their, in their sleep, they dream about food. They're so hungry. Um, I wonder if Jesus was dreaming about food At any rate, we're told that Jesus is hungry, and that tells us something important. Jesus is a man. He feels what we feel. He feels hungry. This temptation is very real to Jesus. And so then the devil comes to him, and he says to him in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
Why are you starving yourself out here? Don't, don't you have the power to remedy this situation? Surely, as, as God's son, you can just look at that rock and say the word and turn it into bread. And it's true. Jesus could have done that. But what the devil is doing, and this is actually kind of a master class in the, the roots of sin, where sin really begins. The devil is sowing seeds of doubt. If you are the Son of God, don't you know who you are? Don't you know what you're capable of? Maybe, maybe the better question, the real, the real issue is, don't you deserve better than this? You may remember the first, the, the, the question, the first question that the, the serpent used against, our, against Eve. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any of those trees? What does that make you question? What, what's at the heart of that question? It makes you question whether or not God can be trusted. It makes you question whether or not God is even good. Is God for us or is he against us? Maybe we should take matters into our own hands. You know, the fruit on that tree does look pretty good. And there's a lot of benefits we'll get from eating it. Yeah, let's go for it. Our first parents chose to interpret reality for themselves rather than to trust what God had said about them. And that's, that, there's a couple of things going on here. The first is this. How will we interpret reality? We talked about this in our core class just before, this, uh, just before the service. That one of the key questions we have to answer is, how are we interpreting reality? Will we trust what God's word says? About us. Will we trust what God's word says about the world? Will we trust that God's word can interpret reality for us? That's the question. That's what Satan is putting in Jesus' mind or trying to put in Jesus' mind. If you are the son of God. Saying, surely as the son of God, surely as one who has identified as such, you deserve better than this. But it goes even deeper than nutrition, doesn't it? Food doesn't just fuel us through the end of the day. Food is also satisfying. It makes us feel good. God has designed us. You know how you feel when you're hungry. Just as I'm talking about this, you're probably thinking about something that you want to eat right now. I'm going to make the sermon go extra long today just to make the point Right. You know, God has designed us to actually enjoy what we eat. So we're talking about satisfaction here. We're talking about delight. Hunger means that you want something. You want to be satisfied by something. I had a friend several years ago who was being treated for cancer and the the treatment took away his his sense of taste. Uh, he every time he put something in his mouth, he couldn't he couldn't taste it. Maybe you've been there. And do you know what happens when you can't taste what you put in your mouth? 
you don't want to eat. It's bizarre. Uh, Mike was certainly, he was, he was wasting away. He was losing weight. He wasn't getting the food that he needed to get, but he didn't want it because he couldn't taste it. It was not, it, it went far beyond just the physical nature of his stomach not being full. It didn't satisfy him. He didn't want it, and therefore he didn't eat it. We're talking about satisfaction. Jesus could have used his power to satisfy himself. But that's not what he came to do. He came to deny himself. He came to put off temporary satisfaction so that he could win back his rebellious people. And so he responds to the devil's question, the devil's lie, with the truth, with the truth from the scriptures. He responds, his answer comes from Deuteronomy 8.3. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Those are Moses' words. Moses is reminding the people that God fed them in the wilderness with manna. And in Deuteronomy 8, Moses says that God did this to test them, to see what was in them, so that they would learn that food isn't all there is. The Word of God is where we find life. I wonder, is that, is that how we approach the Bible? Do we approach the Bible... As life-giving. Now, maybe you've taken a shot at it. Maybe you've tried to read the Bible and you go, there wasn't anything life-giving about that. That was nap-giving. And there are some parts of the Bible that are better at giving naps than others. But what we need at heart is a perspective change. Jesus is saying that, that ultimately life comes from God's mouth. That we are satisfied by His Word, do we come to the Word? When we, when we open our Bibles, do we expect that God is going to feed us? When you've opened the Bible, have you prayed that? Have you prayed that God would satisfy you with the words of His mouth? Or, do we choose to allow other voices to interpret reality for us. Again, over oh, the days of Genesis 1, when there, was, when there was one voice speaking, now we have multiple voices speaking. And all of those voices are offering a different interpretation of life, telling you who you are, what it is you need to do. They're trying to satisfy you. They're trying to give you a certain vision of life. The advertising industry makes billions of dollars, particularly targeting those with the most disposable income, the young. People in their, in their teens moving into college who have money but no bills yet, or very few bills, right? Whose voice will we listen to? Where will we attempt to find life? Can I be even more blunt? Are you, are you listening to your friends to interpret reality for you? Are you allowing them to tell you, who, to, tell, to tell you who you are and what the world is like and what you should do in it? 
Are you allowing Fox News to interpret reality for you? Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson. Now, some of these people may say wonderfully true things, but if we're feasting there, if we're feeding ourselves on those, on those voices rather than the Word of God, we will find ourselves hungry and we will find ourselves without life. Jesus chooses greater satisfaction from his Father over satisfying himself. Jesus also chooses humility. Look at the, uh, the second trial in verse 5. Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple. Uh, this part of the temple, probably about 300 feet or more above the rocky valley below, so about as high as the Statue of Liberty, at least according to Google. And we see that, uh, that Satan can play the Bible memory game too. He tells Jesus to throw himself off and he says, because it is written in Psalm 91 that if you throw yourself off, since you're the Messiah, he will command his angels concerning you. They'll they'll scoop you up so you don't scrape your foot on the rocks below. It's a good reminder that you can read the Bible, you can know the Bible and still misuse the Bible. Satan twists the meaning of these verses to make them say something Very different than what they were intended to say. Psalm 91 does not promise that God will take care of you no matter how dumb you are. And that's what, that's what the trial is here. Right? You're God's son. Prove it. Throw yourself down. He's gotta, he's gotta rescue you. That's what's written. The temptation here is to try and prove God's faithfulness by a needless miracle. To put God to the test. To manipulate God into acting, if that were possible. The equivalent would be diving into a pool from three stories up just to prove that God would keep you alive if he wants to. It's a manipulation of God's goodness and love. And again, Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy, this time to Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, where he says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. What, what does that mean? What's he talking about? Well, in Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding the people of the time when they were in the wilderness. Exodus 17, they were at a place called Massa. And they were thirsty. And they grumbled and complained against God And they complained to Moses and they said, did you bring us out here to die? We need water. Now. They tested God by complaining and grumbling. What they said was, is the Lord among us or not? So here's the difference between testing and humility. Testing is presumptuous. It's proud. Testing says, he'll give me what I want. Humility says, I trust you to take care of me. Jesus keeps drawing us back to Deuteronomy because it's in Deuteronomy that Israel is reminded of how often they failed the test. It wasn't just at Massa and it wasn't just about water. It was their whole journey through the wilderness. Repeatedly, they were tempted. Repeatedly, they were tested. And repeatedly, they failed 
Repeatedly they disobeyed. But here Jesus shows us that he is the true Israel. He is the obedient son. He chooses humility over presumption. And then finally we see in the last trial that Jesus chooses the cross. Now, there's not a cross in these verses. What do I mean? The devil carries Jesus to a high mountain and he, he gives him this amazing vision. He shows him all the world, all the kingdoms, all of the people, all of the places, all the palaces, all the gold and silver, all their glory. And he says, I'll give it to you. It's yours if you will fall down and worship me. Now, how is this a real test? There's a couple of questions I have when I read this. One is, can Satan even make this offer? And we answer that by saying, at this point, yes. Uh, later on in his life, Jesus would call, would say that Satan is the ruler of this world. The New Testament hints at the idea that in some way, the devil has been given some measure of authority in this present age over this present world, but Jesus has come to undo that. But at this point... We could say that, Jesus, that, that the devil does have some ability to offer this. But doesn't Jesus already know? I mean, doesn't the world already and all of its glory, don't they already belong to Jesus? And the answer again is yes, in a sense. But remember that Jesus has given up what was rightfully his to become a man, to become a servant, to become lowly. And so here's, here's what the temptation is. The temptation is to take the crown without the cross. What Satan is offering Jesus is a shortcut. He's saying, look, you, you can have all the world in its glory. And, and you don't have to go down that dark road. You, all you have to do right here is, cha- is change allegiance. Bow the knee. Worship me, and you'll receive this glory. But Jesus knows that's not the path. In fact, that same shortcut is the one the devil offers you and me often. Gain the world, but forfeit your soul. That's the test as we face it. Israel failed in the same way. God told them, as you enter into the promised land, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. Don't forget. Don't forget who gave it to you. And what did they do? They forgot. And we forget. All the time. We want the blessings, but we don't want the road to get there. We want the crown, but we don't want the cross. But Jesus knows his path to the crown has to go through the cross. Satan knows that any deviation from that mission means that everything is lost. And so we need to feel the weight of this moment. I mean, in one sense, you can say, and it's true, God is sovereign. He is the ruler. As he says, and as Job says, no purpose of his can be thwarted. That's true. 
But I need you to see that it all comes down to right here. That if Jesus falters, if Jesus bows the knee, then it's over. Everything hinges on what Jesus will do. And what Jesus says is, go away, Satan. Be gone. And then he answers again from Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He tells Satan once and for all where his loyalty lies. And did you notice what does he receive? Verse 11. The angels come and are caring for him. The very thing that Satan said they would do, they do. Jesus passes the test. And as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, nothing would ever be the same again. Satan leaves, but we know they'll see each other again in the garden. Yeah, Jesus' test, testing doesn't really end here. Jesus will face an even greater test the night before when he really begins to grasp what the cross will cost him. Again, he'll face the test to turn aside. He'll even ask his father, say, let this cup pass from me. He's so grieved by this, he'll ask him three times. And he'll ask him so earnestly That he'll sweat profusely, even like great drops of blood. And each time, he comes back to the answer, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus drinks the cup, every last drop. And when the Father's wrath is exhausted on the Son, he says, it is finished. And then Satan's fate will be sealed. You see, if we read this story, we we often read this story, and in some ways it's right to do so. We read the story as Jesus showing us how to face temptation. Jesus is our example. And certainly true. Uh, Do we need to choose trust in God over trust in ourselves? Yes. Do we need to feed on the Word of God so that we can choose Satisfaction in him over our temptations. Yes, that's the remedy for saying no to sin. But what about when we don't? What about when we don't follow Jesus' example? What about when we fail the test? In that moment, we need more than an example. We need a hero. We need a champion. We need one who, as we heard earlier from Hebrews 4, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. And what does that enable us to do? Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy And find grace to help in time of need. When Jesus passed the test, 
He made it possible for you in all of your sin and all of your failures to draw near. The question is, will you trust him? Amen. As we go to prayer, our prayer focus this week, we're continuing to work our way through the Lord's Prayer. We're praying for revival. Matthew 6, verse 10, we're asking God to bring the kingdom, His kingdom, and to make His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we talked about what it meant for God to hallow. We focused on God's honor, praising Him for His greatness, praying that people would recognize His worth. Today, we're going to focus on His kingdom, His rule over us and the world, that God would accomplish His plans in us and our families and our church and in the world around us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for 